as you get settled in, I am going to invite you, if you would, reach under a chair, grab a Bible, and flip open with me to Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. What I would like to do today is look at a command in the Bible that at the time of Jesus was considered one of the most crucial, critical, and important commands that the Jewish people could possibly even think of keeping. And yet, how the New Testament writers, because of Jesus himself, completely rethink everything about it. And if you flip there already at Genesis 30, or excuse me, Exodus 31, 12, it's about this thing called the Sabbath. Here's what I want to have happen today. By the time we're done today, I want you to be able to understand not only what the Sabbath is about, but understand it more deeply in its context that's often missed by people today. And in the process, seeing how in Jesus, amazing new realities come to light that redefine everything about how God's word works and what life with him looks like. A big order, to be sure, but I believe in you. All right? Exodus 31, verse 12. Follow along with me. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites... You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now let's unpack that. First of all, the Sabbath, as is made clear in the rest of Scripture, is not Sunday. Whatever pattern of life you've gotten into or whatever kind of thought patterns have been given to you that somehow Sunday is the Sabbath, it just ain't true. The Sabbath is the seventh day, which would make it what? Saturday. Today is not the Sabbath. But God comes to the people of Israel and he says, I want you to keep the Sabbaths. Every Saturday that rolls around, I want you to keep it because he says it is a sign. It's a sign between me and you for generations to come. It's a sign or an indicator that's pointing to something bigger than itself. That this thing we call the Sabbath was never meant to be an end in itself, but something that's meant to show us a deeper or greater reality. And that's going to get uber important in just a little bit. Now, what is this reality? Well, he says, it's a sign so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, all the word holy means is like set apart. Set over there for a special purpose, differentiated in some kind of way. To make sense of this, you've got to divorce from your mind that somehow holy means, well, holier than thou. You, you know what I mean? That somehow it means more righteous, better, you know, like, ah, halos and, and, and angels singing and stuff like that. All it means is this is set apart. So here's the idea. God says, take this day, the seventh day, and observe it because it's a sign for you. It's an indicator, an indicator of another reality that you are holy. So just as you set apart the seventh day, 
By setting it apart, it should be a reminder to you that God has set you apart for a special purpose as well. Are you with me? Okay, let's go on. So observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death, right? Oh my gosh. Now, the operative word, even though like, you know, death is what we're fixated on, the operative word of the Sabbath is rest. How do you observe the Sabbath? Well, unlike the assumptions a lot of people who grow up in churches today think, or they think it means like going to church for an hour or something, that's not what it meant to the people of Israel then. What it meant to observe the Sabbath was to rest. Rest from what? Well, work. The daily work, the daily grind, the things that you have to do the other six days to support yourself and feed yourself and take care of all the details of your life that keep it operational. What you would do is set apart the seventh day to go on the seventh day, God rested, so I will rest too as a way of remembering that God is fundamentally the one who provides, that God is the one who's fundamentally in control, that the operation of my life is fundamentally in God's hands, not dependent on me. So on this day, I will rest. I will just stop. I will stop even though if I stop, my life is going to go down the toilet. I will stop even though the house will be in ruins. I'll stop even though life as we know it will come to an end. I will stop because God is in control and he dares me to test him in this. Do you believe that I am in control and can take care of your life? And stop, rest, and see before your eyes what I can do. And this was so important, so mission critical. So central to everything that God wanted his people to grasp that he's like, if you don't do it, kill him. I got to ask you guys straight up, who here, be honest on this, all right? Be brave. Who here worked in some capacity yesterday on your house, on your taxes, errands, your job, ushers, you see the hands? Kill him. <laughs> That's how important it was to God. This is so central and important. We can't risk any deviation. We can't risk anything coming in. And just like cancer has to be removed from infecting a body, any hint of not practicing this and getting the central idea of who God is has to be completely cut out from the people. That's how important it was to him. Crazy, right? 
but we follow a crazy God. Now it goes on. And he says in verse 16, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations or the generations to come as a lasting covenant, lasting promise is what that kind of means, a contract between you and me. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites, and as we've been doing this entire month, for how long? Forever. For how long? Or as this clip so wisely puts it, Forever. 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 How long? Forever. And how long is forever? Forever. Or is it? Because Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus knows God's law better than anyone. And unlike any of us who, you know, we look at that Roman slide that we looked at, and it's like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Jesus was fully obedient, fully sold out on God, fully committed, fully faithful. But it's odd, you read his biographies in the New Testament. And when it comes to this thing called the Sabbath, it's like he dismisses it or, or, or treats it as something irrelevant. It's interesting when you come to people like Paul who knew Jesus better than just about anyone. He does the same thing. Because you want to keep it, keep it. You don't want to keep it, don't. In fact, Paul will go so far as to say that those who insist on keeping the Sabbath are, get this, weak in their faith. How do you make heads or tails of that? How do you make heads or tails of this? That from the time of Jesus, starting from the apostles, Christians don't celebrate a command that God says is to last for generations to come for how long? Which begs a question. How long actually is forever? Now, it's important whenever we read the Bible that we read it on its terms and not our own, and that we, when we read it, we read it from its perspective and its worldview and not our own. Now, when you and I use the term forever, certainly it can be used to kind of connote an idea of on and on and on and on and on and on without end. But let's talk for a little bit about some other perspectives on this word that gets translated forever. Now, in Hebrew, the word forever is olam. And it's a neat elastic kind of word that, that, that basically at some fundamental level means in perpetuity, either going backwards or forwards on a timeline. You will see it translated in all kinds of ways throughout, throughout English versions of the Bible. Things like permanent, ongoing, Duration, forever. Now let's think about this word just for a little bit. This word olam, this word forever. Now if I was to ask you, God is faithful forever. How long in your mind would that seem to indicate? Forever, eternity. Forever. eternity. 
And that's why we use the word forever. If I was to say, you need to keep the commands of God forever, think about this. How long would that last? Before you're too quick to answer, do you need to keep them when you're dead? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that when you're dead? You got to keep them when you're dead? Or does forever maybe mean something a little bit differently? Or how about when Jesus comes again? In your mind, is life the same when judgment day comes as it is today? Or in your mind, is there some kind of radical break that you make? That, that the entire space-time continuum is so different, so radically, sharply distinctive that what we experience now might not be the same as what we experience then despite the fact that we use terms like forever? Go with me on this. Let me show you an example of one way this plays out in a scriptural text. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, just a few chapters before the Sabbath thing, God's laying down instructions for what it means to have slaves. Because in the ancient world, people had slaves. What God does is he comes in the midst of it, and he regulates it. He starts retooling and refording Israel to do the slavery thing in a different way. Most notable is this. Unlike every other culture, when an Israelite had a slave, it really wasn't his slave. And when an Israelite had a slave... Well, it wasn't forever. It was for seven years. And every seven years, slaves were required to be set free. And when they were set free, it wasn't just like, see ya. You were to lavish on them. You were to bless them. You were to, you were, you were to, to, to set them up so they could prosper. But embedded within the text, let me show you this cool little passage. It says, but, if a, it says servant, it's slave. If a slave declares... I love my master and, and my wife and children who, who he's given to me because that's how you would treat your slave. And he says, I don't want to go free at that seven-year mark. Well, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, which completely makes you rethink the entire ear-piercing thing, doesn't it, here today? And then he will be his servant for what? Translated how we would think? Forever. Now, straight up. When a slave would read this, or a master would read this, and he go, well, he wants to be my servant forever. Would he really in his mind think like 4,000 years from now, this guy is still my slave? When we are in the new kingdom, in the new age, and eternity has come, hey, guess what, man? Boom, you shouldn't have got the air pierced thing. You, you know what I'm saying? No, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. And that's why you'll see translations do it other ways. It's something like, he will be a servant ongoing. He will be a servant permanently. He will be a servant for life. Because sometimes forever does not actually mean forever in the way we think it means. Paul picks up on this exact same thing. And he writes this. 
don't you know, brothers? For I am speaking to men who know the law. I'm speaking to you who are experts in the law. You know it. Don't you know that the law only has authority over a man as long as he lives? This is why we don't go to cemeteries on weekends and exhort the dead to do good. Because they're not under it. It's why we don't put them in jail when they do bad. Because they're not under it. Because for them, in some sense, in some perspective, forever has come. Are you with me? That's why a couple verses later, Paul will go on and they'll say, so my brothers, you died. Did you know that you're dead? Because Christ died, and if you're in Christ, that means you died too, and forever is here. So why not the Sabbath? Because when Christ came, forever ended, and eternity came here. Did you catch that? When Christ came, something so pivotal, so earth-shaking, so shocking, so transforming happened that the New Testament writers can only describe it as the future breaking into the present and eternity coming here. It's almost like Jesus is Marty McFly and the cross is a DeLorean. All right? In Jesus, forever is over. Eternity is here. See, every Jew, virtually every Jew at the time of Jesus, was looking for eternity, yearning and hoping for that day to come when God would show finally that he was faithful. Meaning this, that God would finally answer all his promises. That all the promises God has made would come true. Now you start reading the promises of God and they are chock full of ideas of life and justice and vindication. But what does that mean for someone like me if I've been killed unjustly? And so along with looking forward to this day, what the faithfulness of God meant to them was a resurrection. A day when those who were unjustly killed, when the day when those who died would be brought back to life. At the end of days, a resurrection would occur, the dead would raise, and God would fulfill all his promises for all time to them, to us, that God would be true. But you know what? They never saw someone rising from the dead in the middle of history. They never thought some just like resurrection was going to happen piecemeal. So when Paul comes face to face with Jesus, risen from the dead, it causes him to rethink everything. And he realizes something. He realizes Jesus coming back from the dead is something so much more than just some dead guy coming back to life. 
he realizes it is nothing short of the future breaking into the present. It is nothing short of the last day breaking into the present day. It is nothing short of eternity coming in our face right here. And the New Testament writers, when they catch hold, they go wild with it. Look at how Peter says it. It's Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus has risen from the dead, and they've come face to face. They've seen it, and and they can't believe their eyes, but they can't reconcile with the fact that it's real, whether I can believe it or not. And Jesus tells them, wait in Jerusalem, because in that last day, God's going to pour out a spirit as well. The spirit of God's going to be poured out, and it's going to corroborate it. The prophet Joel spoke of it. Read Joel 2 sometime. And the last day, he says, God will pour out his spirit on all people. He starts going with it. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Young and old men and women alike will prophesy in the name of the Lord because my spirit will be poured out upon them. And there they are. And it's 50 days. And they're in Jerusalem. And it says something like a a violent wind. A hurricane comes rushing in and fire starts to appear on the heads of these followers of Jesus. And they start to speak in different languages, proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done. And those around don't know how to make heads or tails. Some look and they're amazed. What is this? And they're astonished. Others look and they go, the dude's drunk. And it's in the midst of this that Peter goes up and says, wait, guys, no, it's nine in the morning. Not even I am that bad. It's only nine in the morning. We are not drunk, as some of you think. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, when Joel says it, Joel says the last day. Look at how Peter starts to wrestle. What's going on? The future is here. Eternity is breaking in. Which means that if you are in Jesus, do you know what you get to experience? Forever. 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 Forever is here. Forever is here. This is why Paul will write about the Sabbath, things like this. The guys, don't let people judge you. But what you eat or drink, dietary laws that God said were lasting. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, or there it is. A Sabbath day, which is to last how long? Forever. Why? They're a shadow of things that were to come. Or as Exodus put it, a sign. And what is the point of a sign? To point to something else that is greater by far that's coming. What was the Sabbath? It was a sign that God was going to come. 
that this world that we live in that seems as though it's spiraled out of his control, that seems as though it is not under his rule and reign, what does the Sabbath do? It is a sign that points to a greater reality that a day will come when every day will be Sabbath day. A day that will come when eternity will will arrive. A day that will come when all things will be under the lordship of Christ. And when Jesus comes, his prophets declare, today is that day. Why don't we follow the Sabbath? Because why fixate on a sign when the reality of what it points to is right before your eyes? Have you ever done this? You're traveling somewhere? You're trying to figure out where to go. And, and you see a sign. Maybe it's a sign on the highway, or maybe it's a sign how many miles to go. Do you ever see the sign telling you where to get off? And instead of actually getting off the ramp, you just kind of pull your car over and go, that is a great sign. I love that sign. Isn't it beautiful? Let's just stay here and enjoy the sign because the sign is that. Is that like stupid or what? Because the sign is not an end in itself. It is a means to an end, an indicator to a greater reality to which it points. And the people of the Old Testament, every seven days they would pause. They would pause to do what? Remember. Remember that God is coming. Remember that forever is coming, that eternity will come when it's not just one day, but every day under the rest of God and his control and in Jesus forever is here. Paul says it's a shadow. What's a shadow? Nothing more than a whisper, a faint image, a mist of something greater by far that casts it. And why fixate on shadows when the reality of the shadow is here? Are you with me? Here's another way to think about it. Think about the Sabbath like a giant countdown. We do countdowns every, every week here at church, and we got countdowns and all kinds of things. What is the point of a countdown? To show you that something is coming that's greater than the countdown itself. We put together a 20-second countdown for you, all right? I'm going to start this right now. Okay, here it is. Now, when this hits 10, what I'd like you to do is start counting down with the clock. Can you do that for me? All right, here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, Happy New Year! Happy New Eternity! Happy Life Eternal! I got a question. Why'd you stop counting? I mean, wasn't that fun? It's like, my countdowns rock. I just want to spend my day 
counting down. Do you go to places and they do countdowns, and when the countdown's done, it's like, okay, let's go home. Let's go find another countdown? <laughs> right? No, because what does a countdown do? It points you to something that is coming, and it's coming soon, that is greater by far. And guys, I'm here to tell you today that the countdown is over because Jesus came and he rose from the dead. And that means nothing short than the inbreaking of forever, of eternity. Right now, right here, when are you? In Jesus, you are on the other side of forever, breaking into your life today even as we speak. And this, in my opinion, is what leads to the most important question. If this is true, what does it mean to start living your life every day as though it's Sabbath time and not just one day a week? What does it mean to reorient your entire life as though you are now in the midst of eternity and all that God has promised to bring instead of just giving him one portion, one day a week. Because I'll tell you, you grab hold of that and you will start discovering what it means to have life eternal life in Jesus. A life that begins today. That is what Sabbath points to. That is what Sabbath is about. That is why we don't celebrate forever today. Take hold of the greater reality and not just the shadow. Live your life every day in eternity. Did you learn something about Sabbath today? Let's rise. Man's going to come forward. There's certain passages of the Bible, things of Scripture, uh, that, that make their way into church life that I, that I never cease to be amazed at how much they speak to so many things. You know this thing called the Lord's Prayer? Notice, yeah, disciples come to Jesus. You know, Jesus, John's disciples are teaching me how to pray. I don't know what to say except for, like, dear God, just be with. Teach me how to pray. And he teaches them this prayer. 
and it's chock full of ideas and, and insights into the reality of who God is. I love this line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like saying, Jesus, make the reality that already exists a reality for me and my world. Here as I speak, I encourage you to pray it that way today. We pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.